0: every human, uh, knows what it is to yearn for, for other people's approval. Uh, you know, I don't think that was invented by Facebook. I don't think like, you know, I don't think Zuckerberg came up with the idea that people maybe would want social validation. You know, he's, he's richer, he's richer now than Warren Buffett because he, tapped into something elemental uh, in the human condition that we all have this gnawing at us to varying degrees but we all um, whether we live in Hollywood or not uh, we have this desperate need for other people's approval um, and increasingly for strangers approval uh, I always think like if you could time travel you know Mae West or uh, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin to uh, present day America and like Show them the life of a fourteen year old with an iPhone. they would be like i can't I could never handle that degree of scrutiny. I can't be that famous. I can't do that many photos a day. I can't uh comment on that many social issues you know the, the a typical um uh, child is under more constant scrutiny than like a presidential candidate would have been under a hundred years ago uh and so I think that um." I was, I, was, I was nervous to write a book that's, that's largely set in Hollywood, because I didn't want to be too esoteric. Um, but I kind of realized, eh, we're kind of all sort of in Hollywood now.
1: Hi gang, welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame and whatever else, episode 62. I'm Jamie, speaking to you from high atop the first floor of our house, meaning I am on the second floor here in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. I'm going to dive right into this week's guest and tell you about him briefly and then go right to our conversation, and then after it's all done, I will uh, reflect on that and some personal thoughts of my own. Uh, so let me tell you, today's guest is uh, Simon Rich, and here is some of the descriptive text that has been written about him with explication from me in between. After being president of the Harvard Lampoon, in college simon rich was one of the youngest writers ever hired on saturday night live and he's written for pixar and the simpsons he's the creator and showrunner of man seeking woman which was originally on fxx which i didn't even know existed until <laughs> until i started watching man seeking woman uh which is you know i don't usually gush about uh the things but As Simon will tell you, Man Seeking Woman never got the audience it deserved, and it is now on Hulu, and you should really watch it if you like offbeat, absurd, somewhat romantic, somewhat dark comedy. It's Man Seeking Woman. It's on Hulu, and he has an upcoming series called Miracle Workers, which is based on a novel of his that I'll tell you about on TBS, set to come out at an yet-to-be-determined date those are both based on two of his books his other collections include spoiled brats and ant farm i have spent the last week binging on simon rich and every time i tell my wife that i really I, i'm not gonna do any more episodes with people i don't really know because i i feel kind of awkward about it and I kind of go in and spy on them and take this self-immersion course in their work for a week. And then I say, hi, I'm Jamie. And it, it just seems very awkward. Like, I know all this about them and they don't know about me. Why would they want to talk to me? But this time it worked out so very well that I'm never going I I'm going to keep as if if publicists contact me, I will keep doing them. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to try to focus on a few core returning guests and and just people I am especially uh, fond of their work, who I will hunt down. Anyway, Simon Rich is a frequent contributor to The New Yorker. Uh, Hits and Misses is, as his publisher puts it, a new collection of stories about dreaming big and falling flat, about ordinary people Desperate for stardom, and the stars who are bored by having it all. Inspired by Rich's real experiences in Hollywood, where he now lives, grew up in New York. Hits and Misses chronicles all the absurdity of fame and success alongside the heartbreaking humanity of failure. From a bitter tell-all by Oatsy, the horse Paul Revere rode to greatness, to a gushing magazine profile of everyone's favorite World War II dictator, a recurring theme in Simon's work. These stories roam across time and space to skewer our obsession with making it big, from the days of ancient Babylon to the age of TMZ. Simon and I spoke last week by phone. Hits and misses comes out the day this should be dropping, tomorrow, July 24th, 2018, I hope you enjoy our conversation, and afterwards, stay tuned to listen to me hammer on a bit more. Hello. Hello, Simon Rich. Hey, how you doing? All right. How are you? Good. I'm so happy this uh,
0: phone connection uh,
1: worked. Yeah, so far. Terrific. Um, I, uh, until a week ago, I, of course, cause I, I, because of reading you and reading you in the New Yorker, I, I always thought of you as in New York and, you, and I'm guessing yeah. you're in LA. Uh,
0: yes, I live in LA now. I, um, lived in New York. Uh, I, I was born there and, um, I moved there, uh, after college and lived there till, uh, like my late twenties. And, and, um, when I was, uh, on my 27th birthday, actually, I, I uh, moved to uh, the Bay Area to go uh, go and work for Pixar.
1: <laughs> when I was 27, I moved to San Francisco, and I was there for 14 years myself. Oh, where'd you live? Uh, I lived south of the Market most of the time and yeah. worked in the Mission and in Civic Center.
0: Oh, uh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And uh, I'm a fan of your show. I've listened to a few episodes. I I think it's really great.
1: Thanks, man. I'm really glad to hear that because I always feel – I keep telling myself I'm not going to – I'm going to narrow down and just talk to people that I am a super fanboy of or people who have become regulars because Uh it's always so (laughs) awkward to try to explain to people who I am. And when I've done usually, like with you, a, a week of like an immersion course in Simon Rich. Uh, I've been driving around Western Mass where I live now, uh, listening to, to spoil brats while I read oh, cool. hits and misses, um, when I'm not driving around. Uh, oh, I want to uh, tell you at the start and I, I'll probably delete this, but we are recording as soon as it engages when I connect, but I All am, good. I am no journalist. And if you should, you know, say, you know. <laughs> if we should get done and you you think to yourself, well, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that about Lauren or whatever, you can just tell me, and I will delete. Uh oh, I appreciate. I really appreciate that. In in sixty Thank or you. so episodes, it's only happened once. Somebody asked me. Oh, I want to hear
0: what that. I want to hear what that once was all about. You'll, you'll tell me off the record later.
1: No, it was just someone asked me to bleep a name. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah, Fair enough. Sorry. I, Sorry. I Fair enough. Yeah.
0: And so, and and uh, my favorite episode of yours was was talking to Neil Pollock, just cause, um, you know, he's one of my, to me, he's one of the great comedy writers of the last 25 years.
1: I think he's unbelievably funny. There's no way I'm gonna let him know that that, that you said that. <laughs> 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 I mean, the Neil Pollock anthology for me, when
0: I read it, it was you know, for me, it was right up there with *Our Dumb Century* and *Without Feathers*, and you know, it was it, it was on my short list of funniest books I'd ever read. You know, Mark Laner, and you know, I, I put him in that category. Uh, just such uh, brutal, vicious satire, mm-hmm. and uh, unbelievably uh, confident and and cutesy and. Uh, hilarious, I, and I, I, uh, I, um, I'm glad to hear he's doing well, and I, I'm just such a fan of his. I've never met
1: him, and I, I really, when I first got done editing that episode, I thought, oh my god, because he's so frank, and he, oh he, yeah, b- being a dick is kind of what he does. And I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't want him to look bad." <laughs> but then I thought, "No, that's not true. And but the the responses were very mixed. Some people were like, "Wow, he's kind of a dick," but it was very yeah. interesting. And some people were like, "I really liked him because uh, he was so <laughs> frank." Uh, yeah, about yeah, it. yeah, and, yeah. You know, and it's the kind of conversation I want to have about my little topic, like yeah. what does success mean, and, and and why, and and the reason I asked uh, you to have spoiled brats along too is because the new book it's hard to think of it's and this is it's hard to think of anything that doesn't have some aspect of of fame or success wrapped up in the struggles of of your of your horses and people um yeah and everyone but what i also thought interesting was and i'll just i'll just start with this oh there's one other little piece of background i want to give you and that is a that my wife is has been away for this entire month, so I've mostly been talking to dogs and a cat. So I'm a little chatty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and B, I just started taking prednisone for a little pinch nerve in my neck, and I feel good as new three days in. But I'm also even more chatty from that. Great. So I'll, no, well, I mean, it's supposed, to, yeah, I'm supposed to be about you. So
2: I'll try to be, to,
1: <laughs> to tone it down a little. Um, but. I really, uh, I I, j- I really loved Sellout from Spoiled Brats, and I found it you know very moving. And it's always a surprise when someone you know who you, you write a lot of things that are that are a little uh, lighter and or meaner. And this was very uh, moving. Um, Thank you. But it strikes me as compared to a lot of other things that it's about for. Um, for hirsch for Herschel, sorry sorry uh, maybe simon will give us a quick synopsis of this um story oh, sure, yeah. yeah um
0: uh sellout uh was a novella that uh was serialized in the new yorker and it, uh uh the the premise is that my uh my great grandfather Herschel rich um is an actual person uh, he, he uh, in real life he was this uh Hard scrabble immigrant who, uh, you know, a, a, a persecuted uh, Jew who came from Eastern Europe to Ellis Island about a hundred years ago, you know, with pennies in his pockets and uh, um, through brute strength managed to uh, make it in this country so that his, you know, uh, descendants could live a better life. Um, and in the the novella, this next part is fictional. Um, he's working in a, a pickle factory and he falls into a vat of uh, pickles and is brined for 100 years. Uh, And then he emerges in contemporary Brooklyn and he hasn't uh, uh, changed at all. He's been perfectly preserved by the pickle juice. Um, And he meets his uh, great-great-grandson, Simon Rich, and of course is just completely disgusted and horrified by every aspect of his life and his value system. And uh, feels nothing but contempt and rage that uh, all of his hard work has come to this uh, horrible denouement.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and what's interesting is as as the story, and I I don't want, even though the book is, is is not even your most recent book, I'd like people to go and read it because it's it's terrific. And so, and and I don't want to give too many spoilers, but <clears throat> what's interesting compared to other stories from all different eras, from a, you know, a a jester to everyone, is that no aspect of this, this immigrant, success is only money and power. Yes. There is no, no fame or acclaim interests him, or even what what our contemporary, you know, values, Uh, it becomes more and more Uh, apparent. Yeah. Uh, And it's just an interesting contrast to an era where, Fame has become such capital in and of itself.
0: Absolutely, uh, yeah. That's that's um, that's something that I, I, I think about a lot, especially living and working in, in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, it's a it's a subject that I obviously am obsessed with. As I you know, I, I just wrote an entire book about it. Yeah. Um, and why I'm a fan of your show because uh, I think um, it's funny. Even you, obviously, yeah. Like my ancestors who came to the United States through Ellis Island a century ago were uh, obsessed with money. That was the entire reason why they, you know, uh, that and fleeing the Cossacks. But, uh, you know, they were they came here explicitly to to make some money. They came to the United States for economic opportunity, and I think they would be pretty startled to learn that 100 years ago so many people were chasing fame uh, <laughs> yeah. even at the expense of uh, – of making cash. Um, But even looking at movies of the eighties, you know, like you look at the villains in the 1980s films, they really want money, money above all else. Um, A lot of the villains in films now are are more, are more obsessed with being famous. It's become kind of like you said, the new capital. Uh, And I think that's just, you know, it's a function of social media and uh and also declining economic opportunities for so many people you know if if uh, if it's impossible to uh achieve the old kind of capital well maybe you can achieve this new kind of capital and uh, uh i think we we are kind of living in a same economy which is which is uh very interesting
1: yeah whose stock has been boosted by Oh, I'm sorry, listeners. I say this just about every episode, by someone whose only major success in life is getting famous.
0: It's pretty interesting. I mean, you would never guess that. Um, You know, it it used to be that whoever had uh, viciously amassed the most money was typically in charge of this country. Uh, The richest man, you know, uh, the richest people on Earth were the ones kind of uh, jockeying for power in the smoke-filled room. Um, And now it's a guy who just basically pretends to be rich, uh, and is, you know, mainly a celebrity.
2: Yeah.
1: Perhaps the tide will turn. Uh, it's I a, mean, the old version wasn't great either. I mean, no, that's true. You know. That's true. Perhaps there will be a, th- a third way. Let's say so
0: maybe there's a, maybe there's a different form of capital other than, uh, uh, money and fame, you know, like merit, for example, <laughs> hypothetically, yeah.
1: Um, my, my grandparents to pretty much took the same exact, uh, route as yours. I'm, I'm a, I'm a generation, I'm right in between you and your dad, almost exactly. I would say in age, I'm about 20 years older than you, probably 20 years younger than him. And my grandfather came over from Russia as well. And, um, that kind of, uh, by the way, this show goes whatever direction we, we happen to go and I'm going to go in a non-fame way for a minute because, one thing that I notice in all of your work, except except the TV show, which I've been uh, except for "Man Seeking Woman," which I've been also been enjoying, except when it mortifies me some of the some of the things <laughs> that happen to him, I almost get. Uh, what's the, the the episode? Oh, in which he meets the really great girlfriend, and then he hooks back up with his ex, and oh yeah, <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Brittle, yeah a very flawed protagonist sorry, sorry, but i but i digress um uh you're very hard on this simon rich person <laughs> in a lot of the work in the last two books
0: yeah a, yeah yeah
1: a fair <laughs> amount of it seems like you may think you're the most secular jew in the world but you've you're you're at least second to me i i was raised <laughs> all among christians in albany and okay. and was a Christmas Jew completely, and I've never Got had it. that much guilt about it.
0: Yeah, uh, I, none though. Maybe it's latent, and maybe you're, maybe it's, maybe it's creeping out of even you ways you're not realize.
1: I have a little, but it's mostly <laughs> when people try to get me involved in san francisco when people would assume i knew things and would want me to come to their seder and know something right
2: Uh, right right right,
1: right. but i would feel more like an imposter than guilty i'm just not i'm kind of anti-religious so i don't regret not knowing my own culture maybe that'll change someday but do you wrestle with this more than comedically i'm just curious um oh for sure yeah i mean i think that
0: obviously uh the subject of, uh, guilt and, and, and privilege is, is, is behind a lot of my, my fiction. Um, and part of that is, is, uh, you know, a function of my own personal background, but uh, some of it is just a function of being Jewish in a, in, you know, in a, in a, in a post-World War II yeah. landscape. I mean, yeah. you go to Hebrew school and you read about the, you know, the horrors, uh, that, that, um, your your people experienced in like the somewhat recent past and then the other horrors they experienced you know in the in the generation before that and the, the horrors before that and you're kind of in my case hanging out in Manhattan uh you know throwing a frisbee in central park you can't help but feel a little bit of guilt yeah um sure. and uh so i think there's the, the definitely um uh certainly influenced my writing uh, like you said like uh, in, in in i i try not to write about my own life. I've never written uh, a memoir. I've never written an essay. Uh, I've never written any kind of uh, autobiographical piece. Um, everything is, is fiction, but I do sometimes appear in the stories. Um, but when I do, it's always as a as a horrific villain. Um, and I always write about myself from the point of view of another character, like my from the perspective of my great-great-grandfather who's disgusted by me or um my latest book it's uh god himself i'm uh, yes. very frustrated by uh by uh, my my uh relationship with him um i have a piece um a recent piece in the in the new yorker um which is from the point of view of uh the the players in a uh, on a foosball table mm-hmm. that uh that 8 year old me is the captain of uh and and uh, they're you know struggling to survive cuz I... Keep throwing temper tantrums when I lose And basically just physically abuse them And so uh, Whenever I do appear in my writing It's always uh, In an extremely negative light
1: Yeah uh, I I think in that light I rarely you No, know, I suppose I do write about myself In that light too But recently I brought something up to my 89 year old father uh, One time A couple I remember the horrible things I did in life that I think were so terrible to my parents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a very vivid memory of a long period of time where no matter what they would ask me to do, I would say make me.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, my mother died 10 years ago, but neither of them remembered it. It must have been oh, days long. Yeah, But yeah. I had this guilt I carried around Uh with it. Uh, and there was another story involving my dad of something I did to him in a store that I thought embarrassed him and mortified him. And, and he, he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So, I
0: mean, it's amazing. Right. I mean, that's yeah. the thing about guilt is it's, it's, uh, ultimately narcissistic, right. Um, usually, I mean, sometimes you do something really bad, <laughs> but, but typically when you feel shame and guilt, uh, it helps to kind of remind yourself uh, how insignificant, um, you are. And, uh, and that probably nobody was watching or nobody heard, uh, or, you know, nobody cares. Uh, and those are, those are useful, useful things to remind yourself of.
1: And, and they sound negative, but they're not. It's really no. good to remind yourself of that when, oh, when yeah. you're in your own drama. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Oh, uh, one thing I'm going to mention that lots of other people have mentioned from, from, Man-seeking woman, just because it's one of the funniest moments on television I've ever seen. Uh, what's the name of the Hitler episode? I kind of gave you Oh up. yeah, in the, when when Bill Hader plays plays yeah. Hitler. Yeah, I, I can't remember the, the title of that episode, but if you're on Hulu, you should go find this episode. It's the very first episode. It's the, uh, the oh, is the, it the in the pilot. very first one? Oh, okay. Cause yeah, I, I've binged them the last couple of nights, so it's all. Kinda, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, the pilot is, um,
0: and, and that's. Um, that that show man seeking woman is based on a a collection of stories that i wrote uh which is originally called uh the last girlfriend on earth and um that hitler premise is from is from the book but it's basically uh the main character uh finds out that his ex-girlfriend is dating this new older rich guy and everybody thinks he's really cool um and uh the main character uh, josh greenberg um does not uh because it turns out the guy is Hitler who's who's 136 years old and you find out has somehow uh, faked his own death and and escaped to Buenos Aires and now he's dating his ex and he's like is it just me or you know isn't this guy kind of the worst and everyone's like yeah you just don't like him because he's dating Maggie yeah and uh he can't convince anybody you know that this guy is is garbage um and uh that's just you know about how it feels sometimes when somebody you love has moved on it can be yeah. painful
1: and, uh, and that ex seems like uh, hitler uh yeah uh but the third time uh i think it's his best friend says to him it it was just, just such a wonderful setup of three the and rep and like a lesson in repetition and humor the third time uh i'm not the one you're so i'm not the one you should be apologizing to gets said is amazing amazing
0: <laughs> right right yeah, yeah he he apologizes because you know he sort of gets drunk at this party and has an outburst and says to his ex-girlfriend you know he still likes her and you know and he says i'm better than this hitler guy and it's like the room falls right. silent. And yeah he apologizes to her and she says i'm not the one you should be apologizing right. to and he has to say you know <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry you know i'm sorry yes. hitler um, and then, of course, though, you know, Hitler is ex- extremely elderly. So Hitler, you know, says, what? Because, you know, he's, he's very hard of hearing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of shocking. I mean, he's the oldest man in the world um, in this reality. So he has to keep apologizing to him. but Progressively
1: louder volumes. And and previously on the episode people had told him I'm not the one you should be apologizing to, and the build to it actually yeah, being yeah, yeah. Hitler. And then there's this pause <laughs> yeah. where he's like, I am now going to apologize as a Jew
2: <laughs> to <laughs> Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: He just can't he can't catch a break. But the show gets the 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 show gets increasingly redemptive. Uh season three is actually um like a a true uh romantic a uh, fully serialized story um where we uh, we 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 follow his relationship um with a character named Lucy from their first meeting all the way to the wedding day not to wow. spoil boil it too much and and we alternate perspectives so uh half the episode Lucy is the protagonist and we're 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 seeing uh the uh jo- we're seeing Josh through her eyes and we go back and forth
1: Well that's great. I w- I will stick with it. I was going to anyway. Um Redemptive, kind of like the you have to, the suffering you have to do through the whole British uh, office before um, Michael, right. not Michael, David right. has a moment of redemption in that Christmas yeah, that yeah, special. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, I would say I would say by season two we start um, giving our characters more wins, and and uh, season three is actually my uh, my favorite of the three seasons. I feel like we finally figured out how to. Tell a story that was uh weird and dark, but not uh, completely uh
1: shoot yourself bleak uh, in Act what was this I'm always interested um, did it end organically or did it did it get cancelled or did you decide it was you know through we got we got canceled
0: for some of the worst ratings oh. kind of kind of in the history of television I mean well we were on a channel called fXx which um where every show you know gets gets very poor ratings but our ratings were poor even by the standards of FXX. So I mean I I don't I don't know the actual math but our our Nielsen ratings
1: had to have been among the very worst in the history of television. Well it's a, it's a tough place to be because I don't even know FFX FXX exists until I started watching. Exactly.
0: Um but the the great thing about um this media landscape is now it's on Hulu. So anybody I know, you know, 100% of the people who have told me they've seen the show and and liked it, assume it's a Hulu show. Um so people would say, "Oh, I really like your show on you know, on Hulu." Um and that's totally fine if they think that it's a Hulu show. Uh as far as I'm concerned, and it, and
1: it has a life, you know.
0: and, and it gets to live on. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. And with e-books now, the the fact that books never go out of print, and uh, the fact that people have uh, obviously paywalls exist, but it's incredible that uh, on the internet you can you can find old short stories and pieces and and out of print books and canceled television shows. Uh, it's uh it's 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 really great to have this access.
1: What's the status of the new show based on the novel the TBS, TBS just says coming soon when you go to their site.
0: Yes, yes, so we um I don't think they've announced the official air date so I probably shouldn't um but it's uh it's called uh, Miracle Workers and it's um based on a novel I wrote called What in God's Name. I always am, I'm very bad at coming up with titles for my books. And uh usually after it's published, uh sometimes in the middle of the night I'll be like, oh man, I should have <laughs> called it this other thing. And then so then when I adapt it for T V or film, I change the title. Um and they re and they re release the book with the title of the Bet you show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh but so the novel is called One God's Name, um, but the show is called Miracle
1: Workers. And uh, Steve Buscemi plays God. Right. I'm and I'm not interested in the gossip, but I am interested in how much you had to rewrite when your God went from Owen Wilson to Steve Buscemi at, at, right. at some point. Uh a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. And two very godly men, but yeah, wow.
0: <laughs> a lot a lot of a lot of new writing. Um but uh, I'm so excited about how it how it turned out, and uh, I can't wait for people to see Steve in this role. He's extremely uh, funny and sympathetic and sweet. It's basically um, the premise is that God uh, is the founder and CEO of Heaven, Inc., which is the gigantic, inefficient, uh, mismanaged corporation in the sky that runs Earth. And um, it's sort of like Time Warner Cable. It's just, it's just a mess. You know, I, it's <laughs> the, product, the product is not what it once was. Uh, Earth has gotten completely out of hand. Um, God's got an overflowing inbox full of prayers that he can't even bear to look at. And um, he uh, is just completely in over his head. And so in the, in the, in the first episode, um, he decides that enough is enough, uh, he's going to pack it in and uh, explode the earth so he can open up a restaurant. Um, and so then a couple of angels, low-ranking angels, um, including uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who's, who's great in the show, and I, I'm so excited um, for people to see him in it. Uh, they um, they work in the Department of Answered Prayers, which is like um, – kind of like the help desk and uh, billions and billions of prayers come in every single day. And like, they can only get to like three or four. They're just completely understaffed because the earth population is just way bigger than anyone ever thought it would be. And, uh, and the prayers they do answer are like, you know, please let me find my car keys. Like they don't have that much power. Uh, And so they make a bet with God. They say, you know, please, please keep this planet open and he's like what's the point you know look at look at all these prayers in my inbox it's a massive you know uh they're all impossible and uh they say uh, I bet we can answer one and God says all right we'll make a bet. if you can answer one prayer in this inbox you can pick the easiest one in the box and if you answer it uh within 2 weeks I won't explode earth so they go through all the prayers and a lot of them are like truly impossible, like, you know, world peace or whatever, like, right? save the whales, and it's all just completely hopeless. But then they find one prayer, which is that two humans have independently prayed to be together. Um, they've prayed to be a couple. So they think, well, this one should be simple, right? I mean, the two of them already like each other so much that they prayed to end up together. How hard can, can it be? Um, but, of course, it ends up being very difficult dif- dif- difficult enough to yield multiple episodes of television
1: cool and and so this is a self-contained like a a, a, a mini-series kind of
0: yes yeah yeah exactly yeah it's a uh, it's it's super serialized it's it's a seven half hour episodes and you know it's like it's like 24 i mean it's you know we're we've got it Doomsday clock ticking down from uh, two weeks to you know to zero, and uh, they've got a mission. And if they don't do it, then uh, you know the whole the whole thing goes under.
1: I look forward to it whenever it happens to appear. You, you I, I, I've seen you as a cameo in the War Room on one episode of Man Seeking Woman. But uh, do what are your? Did you? I don't know if I was in there. You might have seen somebody who looks like me. Are you serious?
0: yeah do you know who you i mean me in that one. The guy in
1: a white lab coat or something who's who's like the nerdy
0: oh yeah he kind of does look like that me. So is that's so a, that's funny. a
1: really that's a really talented
0: actor um named gideon glick huh. and uh he's phenomenal um I, I um he's he's uh he's been in a number of broadway shows uh i forget the name of the one that he was in recently um but um i've known him for years uh And he's uh, extremely talented and funny,
1: Uh, but he's not me. That's really funny (laughs) because, you know, it's all a a week of my getting used to knowing you. And I just was like, yeah, it looks like him; must be him. Uh, Because the the only (laughs) other video I saw of you, and this leads to me asking you about, um, you know, success and acclaim not in front of the camera. uh, Right. Is that I saw you and your wife on a red carpet and it just looked like hell. Answering questions. Uh, Yeah, we don't. We I don't do a whole. uh, I don't do a whole lot of those. And they're shouting, you know, touch your belly, right? And just oh my (laughs) fucking god! I mean,
0: there are people there. You know, in certain lines of work, um, out in this town, you know, people have to do that every single day. Um, I brave it like a few times a year. You know, a movie comes out, A a television show premiere. You know. but I've, I've found that I've gotten better at even avoiding those. Um, I find that you can just sort of ask, you know, you feel an obligation because the the, the publicist, you know, will ask you to do it. But, um, Sometimes you can just be like, uh, you, you turn and be like, "What about this great actor who's standing next to me? Like, yeah, you know, she's in the show too. Can she do it? You know, she'll be better at it." Uh, so I've, 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 uh, I've gotten better at kind of figuring out how to weasel out of that stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, uh,
1: you, you see, and you didn't seem you, you two seem very poised. It just seemed like such a miserable uh, experience. And a friend of mine who I'm, I he so hates that I'm not even going to say his name, who's a director. Had to do the after, after the extra, the extras after every episode of a series he show ran uh, last year, and he just, he was just so not there, and he was so miserable, and he, he he gets done with work, he doesn't even want to know how it, he's just on to making the next thing.
0: Yeah, and it's also, it's it can be very frustrating because. you have you often it's like you have this incredible cast who is so good in front of the camera which is why you hired them <laughs> and you're like shouldn't they be the ones doing all the interviews like they're the ones that people want to see you know uh, that i don't think they need to hear from this uh non-telegenic uh writer you know after watching the show like surely like can we show some outtakes can we show some bloopers can we show uh can we show the cast goofing off in between takes i mean that's what I would want to see. I imagine if I were a television viewer, not like a some writer bloviating about their about their
1: uh, creative process. Although, you do you present a character <laughs> in Menlo Park who feels the opposite.
0: <laughs> right, right. So that's a right. That's a that's a story uh, I read for the New Yorker, which is um, Thomas Edison. Uh, who you know obviously is this legendary megalomaniac who's obsessed with status and fame and fortune and 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 everything else. Um, in the story, he invents um, the movie camera, which is a, you know a bit of a, a stretch. Any any Edison fans out there will know it's kind of an oversimplification. Just you know ignore it. But um, Edison uh, invents the, this this uh, this movie camera, um, and. He doesn't know if it's going to work and it might be dangerous, so to test it out, he picks uh, this, this uh, idiot teenager, Jed, to kind of be the guinea pig. So he tells him, you know, he pushes him in front of the camera and just tells him to move his arms around randomly and so he can sort of prove that the technology works, and it does. And he holds this press conference, and he shows off, you know, the first movie And he's convinced it's going to make him an even bigger celebrity than he's ever been in his life. And, of course, everyone just has questions for Jed because he's become the first movie star. (laughs) And nobody cares about Edison. They just want to know know, how Jed got into character – And, you know, uh, how does he channel the necessary emotion and also what are his thoughts on politics? And has he seen anybody? And, uh, you know, is he hooking up with anyone? And uh, Edison uh, ends up getting physically forced out of his own laboratory. Yes. Uh, And that's just sort of um, about the the invention of celebrity and how... um, Like you said, there's there's a you know it's celebrity is a is a powerful force, and I I think it it always has been, and 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 moves in lockstep with the history of media. You know the uh, the reason why fame is becoming increasingly uh, dominant in our culture is because media has become increasingly dominant in our culture.
1: And conversely, back around again, uh, to another historical piece is is someone. Getting the credit? Uh, no, no. Some is the. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is is um, uh, Paul Revere's horse watching Paul Revere get all the credit? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's another one you can find on the New Yorker site, but it's uh, and in it's, the new book. <laughs> and in the new book, hits and, hits and misses. Right? Yeah. Sorry. You can You can. You can pay to read these free
1: these free stories. Um, if you choose, hey, Alyssa, really, I think Alyssa would be happier if we say it's in the new book
0: <laughs> from the new book, hits and misses. Um, but that one is a uh, called Oatsy, uh, uh and it's um, or it's called Riding Solo, uh, the Oatsy story, and it's a tell-all, uh, sour grapes memoir, written from the uh, point of view of Oatsy, who's Paul Revere's horse. Um, and he's very uh, upset and uh, <laughs> and and vindictive because the Paul Revere, of course, is, is is most known for his his famous midnight ride, where he he rode his horse for hours and and then said, you know, the British are. coming. Like, I think we yeah, um, and and yeah, and <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I don't know your your, your uh, listenership. <laughs> wow. I, don't know. I, if, I don't know your de- I don't know your demographic. That's no, true. Maybe this is but um. Uh, Otzi, in his mind, you know, should have gotten more of the credit because he's the one who physically did all of the riding. As he should. As yeah. he should, yeah. Um, and uh, it's kind of, it's like any other, uh, it's like any other bitter memoir, yeah. Uh, it, where he, you, you feel for him, but also like he takes certain liberties where you think, well, I don't know about that. Like he, he implies that he maybe had an affair with Paul Revere's wife. And you think, well, I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened. Um, there's some inconsistencies in his narrative, but, uh, <laughs> you know, at the same time, I tried to be sympathetic yes. to his plight. Yeah.
1: But it seems like, especially in the new book, there's a lot of thoughts on bitterness and, 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 and about not getting atten- you know, the, the acclaim, or attention you deserve, or n- not knowing when to quit. Um, Yep. Yep. And I gotta say as a 53 year old, who's just, I had a little sidetrack in the middle of, I moved back East to go to get an MFA as an old guy. Um, But I got sidetracked and ended up owning a bar and restaurant. And now here I am a decade later, getting back into, you know, writing and making this show and doing some things. And then I read relapse. Yeah. It's a little disheartening (laughs) a story about, yeah, and I don't, I don't want you to tell too much about that one because it does have a real twist to it. But about someone, a, a woman songwriter who decides to get back into it and is really excited. And uh, I don't know, am I her? It's a, it's a hard story. It's, it, <laughs> I mean, we all are, right? To a certain
0: extent. I mean, I think, I think that one, one of the things is, is uh, that success and fame and everything else, it, it's all relative. Um, and I think every every human uh, knows what it is to yearn for for other people's approval. Uh, you know, I don't think that was invented by Facebook. I don't think like you know, I don't think Zuckerberg came up with the idea that people maybe would want social validation. You know, he's he's richer he's richer now than Warren Buffett because he tapped into something elemental, uh, in the human condition, but we all have this gnawing at us to varying degrees, but we all, um, whether we live in Hollywood or not, uh, we have this desperate need for other people's approval. Um, and increasingly for strangers approval. Uh, I always think like, if you could time travel, you know, May West or uh, (laughs) Charlie Chaplin to, uh, present day America and like, Show them the life of a 14-year-old with an iPhone. They would be like, I can't. I could never handle that degree of scrutiny. Yeah. I can't be that famous. I can't do that many photos a day. I can't uh, comment on that many social issues. You know, the, the a, a typical um, uh, child is under more constant scrutiny than like a presidential candidate would have been under 100 years ago. Uh, and so, I think that. Um, I was I was I was nervous to write a book that's that's largely set in Hollywood because I didn't want to be too esoteric um but I kind of realized eh, we're kind of all sort of in Hollywood yeah. now. You know, we all everybody now knows what it is. Not everyone walks on a red carpet, but everybody certainly knows what it is to pose for a for a selfie and how different really emotionally are those two moments.
1: And what I when I'm a while back there i was starting to get to is the the amount of it of the places where you seem to look for it are you you i'm guessing you performed in college
0: no not uh, not at all not at all yeah i am um, i a terrible performer i um the closest i ever came was i uh, i would write plays in high school and if nobody if i couldn't get um i i was very much part of like the you know nerdy high school theater scene and, uh, I was friends with some people who were really good at acting and some of whom actually became professional actors. Um, and, uh, you know, I would try to get them to be in the show and, uh, if they, if if they couldn't or wouldn't do it, then occasionally I would have to put myself in and, you know, whichever, whatever the, the smallest character was. But, um, no, I, I knew from a very, very early age that, um, I, I, there were there were better actors out there, um, and I was never. I also didn't really like it very much. It was so scary.
1: I guess that answers the question then that I you know because of your experience with SNL and you write, comedically and you write for the page and for the screen, but no interest in doing up.
0: Um. So actually, in high school, I did a couple of open mics at talent shows, which was basically just me reading. You know, I'd, I'd go up with like a page and I would read jokes that I had written and uh at the time it w- there was sort of a precedent for that like some of the stand-ups that I liked were people like uh you know like Mitch Hedberg or you know mm-hmm. a little later like uh, it, it, you know Stephen Wright people who kind of the lack of delivery was a delivery and so I saw it in high school well maybe maybe I could do that maybe I can just kind of write bulletproof jokes that, you know, like, that, like, like Jack Handy style one-liners that are just kind of funny, um, whether you perform them well or not. Um, and I would do some of that, but I kind of realize like, I'm, I'm certainly not helping these jokes by saying them out loud. You know, they'd be uh, as good if people just read them. And also if I could get actors to read them, they would be even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I learned pretty, pretty quickly, uh, that I was not the best vehicle for my, for my writing.
1: And that you don't really seem to crave it, that the the light actually on you.
0: Well, yeah, that's the other thing is that people, yeah, real actors love acting. They love it the way that I love writing. I mean, you have to love something to get any good at it because it takes so many thousands of hours of practice before you're halfway decent. So like if you're if you're not like chomping at the bit to be on stage, you know, how are you going to amass enough hours to, you know, to be, to be good at it? I don't, I don't know any
1: professional actors who don't love it. Oh, yeah. If you don't love it, you're not going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not going to do it. And the same with writing. I mean, you, know, you have to you have to write for so many hours for free. For years um, before you typically before you write something that anyone publishes, so uh, how are you going to do that if you hate it? You know, it's it's not going to happen.
1: Well, speaking of high school successes on stage, uh, I've I've got two things that if you feel like doing a little reading, I love to. Uh, one is very short from Spoiled Bratz and I'll get to later, but. From hits and misses, I was wondering if you'd want to read all of this two-part question. New client, new client. Sure. And if, and this is the presumptuous part,
2: I could be death.
0: Yes. Oh, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> that
0: I would, would love that. All right. I would love that. Yeah. Um. I mean, in a in a in a perfect world, you could read all of it. But <laughs> but but uh, or get somebody else. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we could do we could do new client, um, and uh, yeah, death of course is just uh, unfortunately he he, he kind of does speak in an, in a baritone. And yeah, I I, yeah. Can't, I can't really pull it off.
1: Okay, I, I think uh, I, as, I can. As, you, as you radio listeners are aware. Um, <laughs> do you have any other notes for me? No, um,
0: um, I, I, I trust you. I think you're gonna nail
1: it. Thank you, and you'll read the tag the tags for Death's, uh, Sometimes there are mid sentence tags for death. Uh, right,
0: right. Should I? I'll, I'll just, I'll just omit those. How about?
1: Okay, that sounds good. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Okay, we'll do, we'll do a, uh, all right, a little radio play.
1: A little radio play.
0: This is fun. I'm glad we're doing this. Thanks for doing this.
1: Oh, thank you. I thought of this last night. Uh, yeah, I don't get a chance to like read the, you
0: know, to like read these out loud. So, uh, uh, all right, cool. So this is a story from Hits and Misses called New Client. Albie Katz, founder and CEO of Bright Stars Talent, was great at signing actors. Unfortunately, he was less great at providing them with actual careers. The brightest star he'd ever managed was a dancing dancing chimpanzee named Mr. Mo, and he hadn't worked much since the formation of PETA. The humans Albie signed hadn't fared much better. One hardworking man eked out a living as an ass double. The best the rest could hope for was to play a murdered corpse on CSI. Albie knew he was a hack. And he would have quit years ago if it hadn't been for his wife, Rose. Albie had proposed to her when they were still in high school, vowing to take care of her until the day she died. It was one of the few promises he'd ever kept, and he was determined not to break it. He couldn't afford full-time nursing care, but he still earned enough from his roster of corpses and asses to keep her well-fed and content. She couldn't drink wine anymore since it interfered with all her medicines, but he'd found a non-alcoholic brand at the Rite Aid, and every day he served her glass after glass on a silver-plated tray. She didn't talk much, but when he stooped down to kiss her, she closed her eyes and beamed, just like she had on their first date. Albie had just tucked her in for her afternoon nap when he heard someone knocking on the door. It started as an eager tap, but quickly intensified into a menacing thump. He didn't bother peeking through the people. He was 81 years old with stage four emphysema. Who else could it be? Death was taller than he expected, about eight foot six, if you included his pointy hood.
2: Are you Albie Cats?
0: probably no use denying it, Albie said. Come on in. Death followed him into the bungalow, stooping to get under the doorframe. Can I get you a drink? Albie asked. No. You sure? Albie grabbed a bottle of Rose's Rite Aid wine. This is a great vintage, he bluffed. A grand crew from France. Happy to open it. Death held up an hourglass.
2: Silence, mortal. Your time has come.
0: Got it, Albie said. Let me just say goodbye to Rose. He stepped into the bedroom and looked down at his snoring wife. He was about to kiss her forehead when an idea occurred to him. It was a long shot, sure, but what did he have to lose? He reached into the closet and found his best blazer, the good luck sharkskin he always wore to meetings. Then he cracked his neck and strolled back into the living room. Huh, he mumbled. Death glared at Alby, his red eyes burning like a pair of embers. What? Oh, nothing, Albie said, flicking his wrist. He probably wouldn't be interested.
2: What is it, mortal? Tell me.
0: Well, I'm a talent scout, Albie said. I represent actors, features in TV mostly. He took out a business card and offered it up to death. The Reaper turned it over in his giant, bony hand. Anyway, Alby continued, I guess I was just curious if you'd ever considered performing. Ha ha. I'm serious, Albie said. There's something about you. You've got a certain quality. A presence.
2: That's ridiculous. I'm not an actor.
0: You've never even thought about it? No. Really? Albie said. I find that hard to believe. You're telling me you've never once performed in your entire life? Death was silent for a moment. His eyes were still burning, but with slightly less intensity than before.
2: I mean, I did a little theater back in high school, but that was a really long time ago. What kind of theater? Uh, It doesn't matter. It was a long time ago. It was stupid.
0: Come on, I'm curious. Death shrugged his knobby shoulders.
2: I guess the one thing that I did that didn't totally suck was this production of Macbeth.
0: Albie raised his bushy eyebrows. Whoa, you did Shakespeare? What part did you play? Death towed the carpet.
2: Well, actually, it, if you must know, I, I played the part of Macbeth.
0: Albie whacked Death in the robe. Seriously? The lead? Death waved his bony hands in the air.
2: It's no big deal. Yeah, it's mostly just because no one else wanted to do it.
0: Alby smirked. No one.
2: Well, I beat out a couple a couple of guys, but they weren't very good. I mean, one guy was pretty good, and he'd done a lot of plays before, and it was my first time auditioning, and I got it over him. So you know that that that, that was cool. But like I said, it was a long time ago. Sounds like you were pretty good. I mean, I was all right. Like. After that play, people were definitely like, you should pursue that. Like, if you look at my yearbook, it's all about see you on Broadway, stuff like that. But what did they know? It was a long time ago. It was stupid.
0: Listen, there's this script making the rounds right now, this Scorsese thing. He's looking for an actor who's over eight feet tall with a baritone voice, eyes that burn, not too experienced. I know you've got a full-time job, but I'm sure he'd be grateful if you would at least go and meet with him. A smile flashed across Death's face, which he quickly suppressed.
2: I mean, I guess it might be interesting to meet with him. I mean, just just so I could have like a funny story, you know, as a goof. Alby nodded. I'm not even sure I'd even want to do it. Like, even if you wanted to cast me in the movie, it, it, it's not like my big dream to become some actor.
0: Of course not, Alby said.
2: Uh, I mean. No offense to, to actors it, it just doesn't seem It just seems like kind of a silly life
0: It's completely silly Albie confirmed Always being hounded by the press People asking for autographs Trying to be your buddy
2: Yeah Yeah Still, it might be fun to meet with Scorsese you know, As a goof You know, just as a fun, stupid goof
0: Right, Albie said As a goof He gestured at the empty hourglass Of course These meetings do take a little bit of time to set up. Death hesitated.
2: I guess I don't have to take it right this second.
0: Albie grinned and whipped out a standard Bright Stars contract. Death's hands twitched anxiously as he flipped through the official-looking pages.
2: Should I change my name? Is Death too Jewish? We
0: can discuss later, Albie said. Death nodded and signed on the dotted line. Okay!
2: So what now? Is it like uh, something where you, you call me when there's something?
0: Yes, I call you. Cool. Cool. He started to leave but stopped in the entryway. Oh,
2: one other thing I might as well tell you about is that I, uh, I also kind of play a little, a little music, like mostly guitar, but also piano and bass. Good to know, Albie said. And I took two years of tap. Uh, okay, I'll let you get to work. You'll call me, right? That's how it works?
0: I'll call you, Albie confirmed.
2: Okay. Okay!
0: Death floated out the door and vanished in a haze of wispy smoke. Alby heard a rustling sound in the bedroom. He grabbed the Rite Aid wine, went inside, and kissed Rose softly on the cheek. Who are you talking to, sweetie? she asked. No, I just landed a new client. Ooh, Albie, she said, beaming. You're the best in the biz. He poured out two glasses and they clinked them together. I'm not bad, he said.
1: I got to admit, when I read this, I really got misty at the end.
0: Oh, thanks. Oh, you th- were cause... great, by the way. Oh, that's thank one of the best. <laughs> one of the best deaths I've heard, and believe me, I, from my sketch comedy background, I've heard a lot of deaths. <laughs> oh, and that go was on. really I, fun.
2: I, I acted a little in high school. Uh, <laughs> that was great. Uh,
1: yeah, that's one of my one. I did. I did some voice some voiceover in San Francisco. Uh, oh, cool! Little stuff back then um that was back in the days when the big jobs didn't go to movie stars and then (laughs) after that all the the big talent that were the high end of the cadillac commercials got pushed downward and downward because uh john Hamm was became cadillac and it's a tough industry to be a voice actor now because i'm like inside out you worked on
0: yeah 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 i worked on inside Um, out
1: um i I was gonna ask you about that
0: yeah i mean Pixar has been, you know, obviously casting mostly huge celebrities since since the get go. Um, Although they they have some, you know, uh, uh, tried and true sort of classic voice actors who uh, are not celebrities and are just really, really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't blame them. It sells movies. Um, But I'm a big Inside Out fan. What was your what did you uh, I've seen it three times, I think.
0: Oh, cool. Thanks.
1: What, What did you do involving it?
0: I was one of the writers. I um, movies at Pixar are, are take years and years and years to to write and 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 produce. So that one was probably probably took like I don't know the exact number of years somewhere between somewhere between like six and ten years to make that thing from the moment that the doctor came up with the idea to you know it premiering. Mm-hmm. And I was on it for one year, mm-hmm. sort of in the sort of in the middle but uh so and it was it's kind of like being um uh it's it's sort of like we're it's sort of like writing for an animated sitcom I would say um and the director uh kind of functions as the showrunner
1: mm-hmm. if that makes sense
0: yeah cuz there's so, so
1: many parts so he, many parts she's and and um, in charge
0: of, yeah. yeah so uh, as a as a writer you're you know you you're part of the story breaking process and but then you're you're assigned scenes and you ultimately are are uh, reporting to uh the director who's who's um very much in charge of every aspect of of uh of the of the film so you know inside out is very very much Pete doctor's film um and a, a number of writers and story artists. Uh, you know, we we would con- contribute stuff, but it it very much Pete's vision, um, and I, I'm pretty sure that's
1: how all of their features work. I've heard, I've seen vague mention of an un- undisclosed Pixar project of yours, a couple years ago. In uh,
0: the- <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a. Uh, I'm actually speaking to you right now from a from a from a Disney phone, so <laughs> I happen to be. Disney, so I'm like now I'm like especially. Uh, nervous to uh, uh yeah but we can uh, leave it at that. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I, I worked on a number of things uh, there and that's I think probably the only one that I'm allowed to mm-hmm. talk about because it's it exists. Yeah. On
1: IMDB. Boy, I I yeah. Inside out just worked for me in every conceivable way. Um there was also I've seen the last future thing I'll ask you about is is uh this Wonka. Uh oh
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, is that again again probably <laughs> you know it's okay. it's like it's it when it, cuz it's like uh the way hollywood works is like uh with with feature films uh the screenwriter really does not have a lot of uh, mm-hmm. uh, power and so it's like as a as a as a screenwriter you're very much an employee um and you and you don't uh, make
1: announcements no, you don't make it, <laughs> got it. Uh got it. Uh
0: I can talk about my television shows, but um on the movie side, I feel there's like six people up the chain uh, that I'd have to get permission first to, you know, even say to say anything.
1: And are you are you were you running uh with other people the the the, the new series? Is, what was your role? I know in the last one you were you said you were I remember you telling someone you were very much involved day to day yeah men.
0: i i was the the showrunner of of both my shows of, of man seeking women and
1: and uh, miracle workers before i and as i scan my notes but before i uh ask you to read something all by yourself that's very short uh is there anything that you know i i'm so glad you've listened to a few um but anything in 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 the idea of 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 fame and success and stuff that we haven't touched on that, that you thought of this week or these, you know, since you knew you were going to do this. Um, you know,
0: yeah, cause I knew I was, yeah. Cause I, I had been thinking about what I would say. Cause you know, I, I do listen to the show and, um, but I feel like we've covered it. Um, you know, I just, I, I and it's, I feel like uh, you've done a really good job on your show articulating it, that we are kind of living in this interesting time where fame has become the new, the new capital, the new currency, uh, and it's pretty wild to see, you know, um, cause it just, it's, uh, and, and I, 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 I look, there's, there's so many different factors that, that, uh, have caused it. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's positive or negative, but it definitely is, um, it's a new, it's a new world order to a certain degree. And I think that, uh, the, I think social media, is about as, as as transformative a force as uh, has happened, in, in at least in my lifetime, in some ways more transform more transformative than even the internet itself in the way that it's changed uh, the human psychology.
1: Right. And, and you made an interesting point when I was a little bit starting to wax nostalgic, like maybe things will go back, and you were like, "Well, they weren't so good before." You know, when no. money were power <laughs> brokers. But so, are, are, do you feel like this new capital could be? kept to it could be put to better use and and not isn't just inherently <laughs> a problem
0: um you know it's, it's like any other f- force of nature it's it, it it can be used for good and it can be used for <laughs> evil right i mean it can it can it can catapult an unqualified person to uh, high office um it can also help a uh, you know a, a super uh, unknown talented people get discovered and have careers like, I, I know writers, like, I know one writer, and uh, I won't embarrass her, but, like, she basically got her start by tweeting, and, and she's not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a number of really, really talented uh, – I know a, a a producer, a music producer, who um, has found artists online, complete unknown artists online, and uh, discovered them and then catapulted them into successful music careers mm-hmm. um, in so much as one can have a successful music career in 2018, but, uh, you know, so it's, there are good things about it. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not black or white. Uh, but then I think it's, it's, it's certainly
1: swallowed the culture whole. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. On that note, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to read something that is completely off topic or as much off topic as anything of yours that i've seen and that is just because i really love it guy walks into
2: a bar
0: oh sure you got it you got it hold on let me get it out so this you know these are it's so funny cuz it's it's always thrilling to, to find you know find out what sticks with people this is like one of those stories that i almost didn't even send huh. off you know uh, to my agent. Cause I was like, this one is too weird. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I, I sent it to uh, my, my best friend, Jake. And uh, I was like, is this the stupidest thing I've ever written? Like, should I even waste people's time with this one? And he was like, I like it. So I sent it in. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And um, thank you so much. Uh, that's thrilling to hear. Uh, let me find it. I actually don't. Okay. Here we go. Guy walks into a bar. Um. All right, so this is a story from my last book, Spoiled Brats, uh, and it's called Guy Walks Into a Bar. So a guy walks into a bar one day, and he can't believe his eyes. There, in the corner, there's this one-foot-tall man in a tiny tuxedo playing a sonata on a little piano. So the guy asks the bartender, where did he come from? And the bartender's like, there's a genie in the men's room who grants wishes. So the guy runs into the men's room, and sure enough, there's this genie. And the genie's like, your wish is my command. So the guy's like, okay, I wish for world peace. And there's this big cloud of smoke, and then the room fills up with geese. So the guy walks out of the men's room, and he's like, hey, bartender, I think your genie might be hard of hearing. And the bartender's like, no kidding. You think I wish for a 12-inch pianist? So the guy processes this, and he's like, does that mean you wish for a 12-inch penis? And the bartender's like, yeah, why, what did you wish for? And the guy's like, world peace. So the bartender is understandably ashamed. And the guy orders a beer like everything is normal, but it's obvious that something has changed between him and the bartender. And the bartender's like, I feel like I should explain myself further. And the guy's like, you don't have to. But the bartender continues in a hushed tone. And he's like, I have what's known as penile dysmorphic disorder. Basically, what that means is I fixate on my size. It's not that I'm small down there. I'm actually within the normal range. Whenever I see it, though, I feel inadequate. And the guy feels sorry for him. So he's like, where do you think that comes from? And the bartender's like, I don't know. My dad and I had a tense relationship. He used to cheat on my mom, and I knew it was going on, but I didn't tell her. I think it's wrapped up in that somehow. And the guy's like, have you ever seen anyone about this? And the bartender's like, oh, yeah, I started seeing a therapist four years ago, but she says we barely scratched the surface. So at around this point, the 12-inch pianist finishes up his sonata. He walks over to the bar and climbs onto one of the stools, and he's like, listen, I couldn't help but overhear the end of your conversation. I never told anyone this before, but my dad and I didn't speak the last 10 years of his life. And the bartender's like, tell me more about that. And he pours the pianist a tiny glass of whiskey. And the 12 inch pianist is like, he was a total monster, beat us all, told me once I was an accident. And the bartender's like, that's horrible. And the 12 inch pianist shrugs and he's like, you know what? I'm over it. He always said I wouldn't amount to anything because of my height. Well, now look at me. I'm a professional musician. And the pianist starts to laugh, but it's a forced kind of laughter and you can see the pain behind it. And then he's like, when he was in the hospital, he had one of the nurses call me I was going to go see him, bought a plane ticket and everything, but before I could make it back to Tampa, and then he starts to cry, and he's like, I just wish I'd had a chance to say goodbye to my old man, and all of a sudden, there's this big cloud of smoke, and a beat-up Plymouth Voyager appears, and the pianist is like, I said old man, not old van, and everybody laughs, and the pianist is like, your genie's hard of hearing, and the the bartender says, no kidding, you think I wish for a 12-inch pianist? And as soon as the words leave his lips, he regrets them because the pianist is like, oh, my God, you didn't really want me. And the bartender's like, no, it's not like that, you know, trying to backpedal. And the pianist smiles ruefully and says, once an accident, always an accident. And he drinks all of his whiskey. And the bartender's like, Brian, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And the pianist smashes his whiskey glass against the wall and says, well, I didn't mean that. And the bartender's like, whoa, calm down. And the pianist is like, fuck you. And he's really drunk because he's only one foot tall. And so his tolerance for alcohol is extremely low. And he's like, fuck you, asshole. Fuck you. And he starts throwing punches, but he's too small to do any real damage. And eventually he just collapses in the bartender's arms. And suddenly he has this revelation. And he's like, my God, I'm just like him. I'm just like him. And he starts weeping. And the bartender's like, no, you're not. You're better than he was. And the pianist is like, that's not true, I'm worthless. And the bartender grabs the pianist by the shoulders and says, damn it, Brian, listen to me. My life was hell before you entered it. Now I look forward to every day. You're so talented and kind and you light up this whole bar. Hell, you light up my whole life. If I had a second wish, you know what it would be? It would be for you to realize how beautiful you are. And the bartender kisses the pianist on the lips. So the guy who's been watching all this is surprised because he didn't know the bartender was gay. It doesn't bother him. It just catches him off guard, you know? So he goes to the bathroom to give him a little privacy. And there's the genie. So the guy's like, hey, genie, you need to get your ears fixed. And the genie's like, who says they're broken? And he opens the door, revealing the happy couple who are kissing and gaining strength from each other. And the guy's like, well done. And then the genie says, That bartender's tiny penis is going to seem huge from the perspective of his one-foot-tall boyfriend. And the graphic nature of the comment kind of kills the moment. And the genie's like, I'm sorry. I should have left that part unsaid. I always do that. I take things too far. And the guy's like, don't worry about it. Let's just grab a beer. It's on me.
2: Thank you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> my pleasure
1: i guess i'm i'm a sucker for the happy endings in your in your pieces because some of them are so me too. Are so dark um
0: uh yeah well I'm not so i did a I did a tally though and in, in uh hits and misses i think more than half of happy endings
1: yeah yeah it's because i've been listening to spoiled brats before i got spoiled brats yeah. there's some dark
0: Ooh, ones yeah although that's one of the few uh uh sweet redemptive ones but um there's some happy ones in, uh, in Hits and Misses. There's, uh, I mean, even uh, even, even Oatsy kind
1: of learned yeah, something by the end of yeah. his uh, Yeah, I, I his think monologue. You're, 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 you're definitely, <laughs> maybe you're softening up a little. Uh, <laughs> but I want to wish you luck with the book. comes out, I'll be releasing this right when it comes out next week on the 24th. Cool. Thank you. And I Thanks for having me on. It's, it's been so much fun. I'm a big fan of the show,
0: and I'm excited to keep keep listening, whether I'm on it or not. Likewise.
1: Uh, and I look forward to, to, yeah, I have nothing else to say about that. Um, it's been <laughs> great to talk to you.
0: Hey, you too. Have a Take great care. day. Bye. Bye.
1: You can find anything you'd want to know of Simon Rich's by as he told you going to the New Yorker website or Googling his name or going on Hulu and finding Man Seeking Woman, uh, among other things. uh, I highly recommend it. The reading and listening I did and watching TV I did leading up to this conversation and a little side note about listening. I'm a very guilty non-reader these days. There's one person I've wanted to have on for a guest as a guest forever, and I just haven't read her novel. And it sits by my bed. But when there's a deadline, like for this, I will read. And I, I rip through Simon's uh, hits and misses, but I also listened to two books and watched a bunch of TV uh, of his. And I, I just highly recommend listening to books, especially if you're a, a former reader or someone who doesn't get to read as much anymore, uh, it doesn't make you feel less guilty about reading, but it does let you appreciate and enjoy books. It's it's great. I love it. Anyway, this 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 week of, of of study of Simon Rich and then talking to him brought up a lot for me personally. And if I were teaching a student, I would say personally is not needed there because for me it says that it's personally Simon Rich is an achiever. We usually think of overachievers and underachievers. He's an achiever. He grew up in New York with high expectations. He went to Harvard. He, you know, went to the Harvard Lampoon where Conan O'Brien and so many others came before him. He went on and and achieved, went straight to Saturday Night Live and is uh, living what I would call a successful career as as a humorist and writer uh, and showrunner uh, for sure. Uh, very much so. He is 20 years my junior. I am returning to making this show and writing, actually trying to write some humor inspired by reading Simon. I've never tried to write humor before uh, these past few weeks, and I think I'm going to stick with it for quite a while. What I'm leading up to is there's a story in Hits and Misses called Relapse. And I don't want to, it has a real great twist in it, as I mentioned in our conversation. So I don't want to spoil that, but it brings up a certain issue of when it's time or whether it's ever time to, to stop trying to make art, to make your little mark on the world or to make art, knowing you're never going to make your little mark on the world. And here I am at 53 back at it. And this story relapse really, uh, digs into that. It's a woman who had been a, somewhat of a rock star, now probably a decade removed from it, as I am a decade of bar owning removed from writing and performing uh, and deciding to maybe make a go of it again. And this story and others in the book kind of address whether you should just know when to quit. And when I read it, it stung a little. But somehow, having finished the book and talked to Simon, I remain inspired to keep making this and and writing and going back to doing some writing, and I hope doing some more performing, uh, like our little live show we did uh, in June that will you'll, you'll hear as some episodes coming up soon, if Ed ever finishes uh, uh, fixing up the recording. Hello, Mech. This is my 18-year-old cat who has wandered into the room for the first time in a while. Hi, kitty. Shh. But the point is, Simon is, is an achiever, and I think it's fair to say, Kitty, shh, this is just ruining the poignancy of this whole, this whole moment, that I have been something of an underachiever, and I have found reasons to underachieve. And that's part of what the undertaking of this podcast is uh, about succeeding or not. And I I wanted to just say that and thank Simon for... You're so distracting me. Mecky, shh. I'm right here. You're trying to talk to me, and I'm right here. Good kitty. She's 18. Did I mention that? She's 18, and she's deaf, and she wanders around looking for for me. And uh, as I mentioned in the episode, uh, Anya, my wife, has been gone all month, so she's especially lonely point is, despite it all, and even if it's ridiculous, I think if you're driven to make some form of art, you should just keep trying to make it, even if the returns don't seem like what they might have been 20 or 30 or 15 or 10 years ago. With that all in mind, you can find all the episodes of this podcast, uh, including this ridiculous outro to this episode, by going to That's 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 15 rcom If you're looking for someone to do one of the best versions of death that Simon Rich has ever heard, you can contact me. Ed Patnode is the engineer of this show. Christian Kandari made our music. This is 15 minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.